is uh, John, the Gospel of John. I will read the first 18 verses. Hear the word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Eternal Father, we thank you for your word, your word which is eternal with you. We pray this morning that by the power of your Holy Spirit, the sense of Scripture might be clear to our minds. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So these first 18 verses in the Gospel of John, this prologue to the fourth Gospel, as a kind of literary masterpiece, it reads almost like a hymn. It walks this fine line between poetry and prose. You might call it rhythmic prose. This prologue, which we just read, in a very condensed form, presents many of the major themes that are going to be developed more fully in this gospel. It is an introduction or an overture to the gospel as a whole. And in these 18 verses, we find many of the core doctrines of the Christian faith presented in a condensed form. The purpose of the whole gospel, John tells us in chapter 20, verse 30, is, quote, that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. Throughout this gospel... We will see the beauty and the glory of Christ. 
His inconceivable greatness and power, his unbounded mercy and love. Throughout this gospel, we will see God's plan to redeem a world he loves. And we will learn how we, by faith in Jesus, can be a part of God's final plan that we should spend eternity with him and with all of the saints in the new Jerusalem. So this morning... As we begin our sermon series on the Gospel of John, I want us to briefly survey four of the themes that John sounds in this opening prologue. Four themes. The first theme is that Jesus Christ existed from eternity past And that he will continue to exist into eternity future. He always was and he always will be. The four gospels, the Bible presents us with four tellings of the story of Jesus' life and ministries. The four gospels each begin at a different historical starting point. The gospel of Mark, which was the first gospel to be written, begins uh, the story around the year 30 A.D., With John the baptizer, he's out there preaching in the wilderness. He's preparing the way for Jesus as the prophet Isaiah had foretold centuries before. Luke pushes the story back a little bit further. He begins his gospel around the year 1 BC with the miraculous birth of John the baptizer. A birth that was announced by none other than the angel Gabriel. Matthew digs even deeper Matthew begins his gospel around 1800 B.C. with Father Abraham, who's the first individual in this genealogy of Jesus that Matthew presents, a genealogy that shows Jesus' connection to King David, on whose throne he sits, as well as to Rahab the prostitute and Ruth the Moabite woman. But John... In contrast to the other three Gospels, to the Synoptic Gospels, John, this disciple whom Jesus loved, he pushes his story all the way back. He pushes it so far back that there is no time before the time he begins his story. You might say that John pushes the story of Jesus back to the moment before the Big Bang. John says, in the beginning... And he's talking about that time before there was time. He is, of course, echoing the first sentence of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, in which we hear, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, at the beginning of time, at the moment when God creates this wonderful universe, God already was, he was already in place, and Jesus Christ was there too. Christmas Day is the beginning of the incarnation of Jesus. That was the day that Jesus Christ, who always was, who always existed, began to live as a human being on earth as the son of Mary. But the birthday of Jesus is not the beginning of Jesus and is not the beginning of the story of God's redemption of this world. Jesus Christ goes back to before the beginning. So before time started, he was there with the Father when it all began. Jesus Christ existed from eternity past. And he will continue to exist into eternity future. Verse 18 says, no one 
has ever seen the Father, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now that verse is very tricky in the Greek, and I think the NRSV translation gets at the meaning a little bit better, so let me read that for you. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him the Father known. Jesus Christ, who after his death and resurrection returned to heaven, is presently next to God the Father. And he will always be next to God the Father. Jesus Christ has existed from eternity past. He will continue to exist in eternity future. He always was. He always will be. As Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The second theme that we see John pick up here in his prologue is that Jesus Christ is part of a holy trinity. Now let me say right up front, the doctrine of the Trinity is a mystery. And so the things that we say about the Trinity need to be based strictly upon what the Bible teaches, but we also need to understand that this mystery is actually beyond human reason to fully understand. And so with that caveat in mind, here's what we can say about the Trinity. There is only one God. Christians are monotheists. We do not believe in a plurality of gods. But God is a trinity of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each of the persons within the trinity is distinct. Each person within the trinity is fully and equally God. And each of the persons within the trinity has always existed. We saw that a moment ago in verse 18. The closing verse of the prologue, which reads, No one has ever seen God. It is God the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The Father is God. The Son is God. And the Holy Spirit, whom we will meet later, is also God. The opening verse of the prologue begins, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, I guess you've caught on by now that the word is a title or a name that John uses for Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. In this opening verse, John 1.1, 1, 1, we learn three things about Jesus the word. The first thing we learn is that Jesus already was at the beginning. He existed from eternity past. The second thing we learn is, is that Jesus was with God, which is to say that Jesus was in an intimate relationship with God. You can imagine two separate gods who existed from eternity past, but who weren't in a close intimate relationship. That's what we see in the pagan religions. The Greek god Zeus and Poseidon are both equally eternal, but they're not in any intimate relationship with each other the way we see in the Holy Trinity. They are separate gods. Jesus, however, is never separate from the Father. Father and Son are always together, with the exception of a few moments at the cross of Calvary. They are always in an intimate bond. The beginning of John's prologue tells us that the Word was with God, 
or next to God. And the end of John's prologue tells us that the word is at the Father's side or close to the Father's heart. And the third thing we learn about Jesus, the word, is is that Jesus is God. Jesus, the word of God, the second person of the Trinity, is distinct from the Father, but his union with the Father is such that he and the Father are one. Jesus is God. Now, it is idolatry to worship anyone or anything beside God. There's no greater sin than idolatry. But John makes it clear that it is right and it is good for us to worship Jesus. He deserves our worship because he is God. It is, of course, on that point that Christians differ with our close cousins, the Jews, the Muslims, and the Jehovah's Witnesses. All three of those religions recognize the historical man, Jesus of Nazareth, and have varying degrees of regard for him. But Christians worship Jesus as God. And for that that reason, those other religions view our worship as idolatrous. The third theme that we see in the prologue of John is that Jesus Christ is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John's claim that Jesus is the word of God has to be situated in the context of the faith of the Israelite people. The Israelite people are a people of the word. Even in ancient times when most people were illiterate, virtually all Israelite men were literate because to be a fully fledged adult Jew meant that you had to be able to read the word of God, the Torah, for yourself. Now this was very different in the Christian world. In the so-called dark ages in the Christian world, most adults were illiterate. They would go to church and the priest would read the scriptures to them and that was good enough. But for Jews, and this is part of the greatness of their culture, Every boy was taught to read so that when he came of age at his bar mitzvah, he could take his place in the synagogue and read the scriptures. Everyone needed to be able to read the word of God for themselves. What we call the Ten Commandments in Hebrew is called the Ten Words. After the law was given at Mount Sinai, after Moses delivered the ten words to the Israelites, God says to his people, you shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall teach them to your children, talking with them. Uh, when you're sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you should write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Maybe you've um, visited the house <coughs> of a Jewish friend and noticed on the door jam, just as you're entering the house, a little decorative box with Hebrew letters on it. It's just a couple of inches long. It's called a mezuzah. 
And inside that little box is a scroll of parchment with verses from the Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. The word of God, the word of God, the word of God is the bedrock and the foundation of biblical religion. The word of God is God's own revelation to his people. The word of God reveals his own heart and his character. The word of God reveals his plans and his intentions for his people. The word of God shows us how to live so that our lives can be secure. It is no more possible to have a relationship with God without listening to his words than it's possible to have a relationship with your wife Without listening to her words. The word of God is the basis of our relationship with God. And if we love God, we will love his word. And now in John's prologue, we learn that Jesus is the word of God. Oh my. Back in the beginning when God created the world, he created by speaking the word. Let there be light. The word of God was the power behind the creation of the universe. At Mount Sinai, when God created for himself a special nation, he created it by speaking his word. The law which gives shape to the worship and the life of the chosen people. Throughout their ups and downs in the land of Israel, God continued to speak his word through the prophets, words that called the nation back to purity and justice and mercy. And now in Jesus Christ, the word becomes flesh and dwells among us and we get to see its glory, his glory. The glory as the only son from the father full of grace and truth. The author of Hebrews tells us the very same story. He writes, long ago, At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And you know what? In all of this, it is the same word. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as the prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. The word of God does not change because the word of God reveals the heart and the mind of God and the heart and the mind of God do not change. God doesn't speak one word to Abraham and then change his mind and speak a different word to David and then change his mind again and speak a different word to Isaiah and then change his mind and speak a different word to Peter and then change his mind and speak a different word to Paul. It's all the same word because it's the same God. And that word, who is God, was made flesh in Jesus Christ. Praise Be to God for his eternal word. Praise be to Jesus Christ who is the word of God. Now let me say just one final thing about the word of God and about the relationship between the word 
as we hear it in the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament and the word of God as we hear it in the Greek scriptures of the New Testament. Principle number one, God does not contradict himself. The New Testament does not replace or repudiate the Old Testament. Indeed, the gospel message in the New Testament is incomprehensible without the Old Testament. But God does offer a fuller and a final revelation of his word, of his mind, of his heart in Jesus Christ. Verse 17 of John's prologue seems inconsequential, but it is hugely important. Listen to this verse. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is not an either or. It's a both and. This is not Moses as opposed to Jesus. This is Moses and Jesus. The law, the ten words, was given by God to his people through Moses. And grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law of God can't save us. It can keep you out of a lot of trouble if you choose to follow it. But all of us fail to follow the law. And so we need something beyond the law. The law reveals to us our need for God's grace, our need for God's help, our need for a Savior. And while the law itself can't save us, it does point us to the grace of God in Jesus Christ who wants to be our Savior. And that brings me to my final point. The fourth theme that we see in the prologue of John is that by belief in Jesus, we can be adopted as children of God. We can go from being children of wrath, which is how we're born, to being children of God which is how we're adopted. Verses 9 through 12 read this way. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There are an awful lot of us stumbling through this life as homeless orphans. No one to take care of us, no one to watch out for us, no one to turn to when trouble comes, no one to belong to, no one to bless us and give us their name and give us their inheritance. Now, I think there are times in our lives when we like being independent and on our own. We enjoy our independence and we kick up our heels because we're making our own way in the world. I know that I reveled in that feeling myself for many years. You feel strong and brave and unstoppable. Just me against the world. But at some point, that kind of life becomes empty and lonesome. Because all of us are wired to belong Because all of us need a family. Because all of us want a place to call home. When God made us, he made us to belong to him. 
When God made us, he made us to be part of his family. When God made us, he also made us for a home. And it is God's desire to bless us and to give us a name and to give us an inheritance that will last forever. And that's why God sends his son full of grace and truth. John three sixteen and 17 are very familiar to you. They say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus said that he came to seek and to save those who are lost. If you're feeling lost this morning, then Jesus is looking for you. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. If you're feeling hungry for God this morning, then Jesus is knocking at your door. John tells us, To all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. To be adopted as a child of God means that we belong. It means that we no longer are homeless orphans without a protector or defender. It means that we have a place in the kingdom of God, a place at his table. It means that Jesus, the son of God, is our own brother. It means that we have all of the rights and the privileges of sons and daughters of the king. It means that God gives us his own name. And it means that God has written us into his will so that we have an inheritance, one that is beyond our wildest imagination. To all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. That is God's invitation to us this morning. I pray that we would take him up on his offer. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your persistent love for speaking to us again and again. We thank you for speaking this beautiful world into existence. We love it. We marvel at it. We thank you for its beauty. We thank you for speaking to us through the law and through the prophets. We thank you for speaking to us through Jesus Christ. Lord, we can't hear your voice unless you give us ears to hear. And so we pray this day that we might have ears to hear. And having ears to hear that we might believe. And that believing we might be adopted. For without you, we are homeless. Seal to our hearts this morning the unchanging truth of your word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.